0: Uh, ultrasound Gel
1: Podcast
0: Ultrasound Gel Podcast Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratt and I'm joined today by Cray Bolger and our pediatric friend, Delia Gold. Today, we're discussing an article titled Evaluation of a Focus Cardiac Ultrasound Protocol in a Pediatric Emergency Department. This was published in Pediatric Emergency Care in, I think, May 2018. So, Delia, is this a thing in the Pediatric Emergency Department? Are you really looking at hearts with ultrasound?
1: Well, that's a very good question, Michael. Uh, yes, we are. As we all know, the use of POCUS is rising in pediatric emergency medicine. And we have, as this paper quoted, we have multiple recent studies in the last, you know, 10 years uh, making the argument that we should be using POCUS kind of universally in pediatric emergency medicine. We had uh, consensus educational guidelines for PEM fellows that was written by Vieira in 2013, which actually did include focused cardiovascular applications. In 2015, Jen Marin and uh, Risa Lewis wrote the AAP policy statement and technical report highlighting the importance of using POCUS and PEM. And we've, with this, we've seen a rise in both education but as well as published studies focusing on all different aspects of PEM and POCUS. And um, specific to this study, we um, had some cardiac POCUS studies back in the early 2000s uh, looking at pericardial effusion and systolic dysfunction if a peds emergency medicine doctor could recognize them. As of late, it's been a lot more case studies where you'll have um, POCUS helping you decrease the time to diagnosis and significantly alter the management. And as you know, you guys know as emergency medicine, everyone has that story of the time that you put the probe on the chest and it changed what you did. So that's kind of what we've been doing. But there has not been a lot of studies similar to this on quality improvement and trying to kind of implement a protocol in an emergency, a pediatric emergency department, especially when you don't have an established large group that's doing the scans
0: it seems to me that although there has been some evidence this is helpful it kind of lags behind the adult literature where people outside of academic centers may still be hesitant to use ultrasound on pediatric patients do you think that's fair to say
1: yeah, I think anytime you're doing something that's newer, you can draw from the people ahead of you. So PEM looks to EM as like setting the tone for some of this. But uh, as they like to say, children are not small adults. Things are always different when you deal with children. All the, the way you have to decide the management and what you're going to do with information is going to be different and the pathology is different. So in children, you know, we worry a lot more about congenital heart disease um, and less about, you know, valvular issues and cardiac dysfunction from their COPD. So it makes it, you know, the applicability of what we know from emergency medicine is good, but there's still limitations. So PEM is still trying to figure out, I think, where they're going to go with that.
0: Right. And that's why this study is important, because everything that We can't just take the adult data and say, well, it must work in kids too. So it's important that they do these studies to show the feasibility and how well this might work in the pediatric population. So what did they do in this study? This was a study where they implemented a cardiac protocol in a pediatric emergency department with the goal to try to improve the quality of their point-of-care ultrasound. So specifically, they wanted to try to increase the number of these focused ultrasounds done, and then they were going to compare the adequacy of the images. How well do these images stand up to a cardiologist's image Are the cardiologists able to interpret them? And what is the accuracy of these images for the pathologies that they're looking for? So the key point ahead of time that you need to know is that this was done with a lot of cardiology involvement. So there was a lot of collaboration between the emergency physicians and the cardiologists here. That's really important throughout the study to keep in mind. So together they came up with this protocol. They decided to enroll people that were less than 21 years old, and they had to have one of these inclusion criteria in order to get an ultrasound. Undifferentiated shock, cardiac arrest with return of spontaneous circulation, concern for pericardial fusion, concern for pulmonary embolus, unexplained dyspnea, or exertional syncope. So if someone came in with one of those complaints then they could be enrolled into this study. But still this was just a cross-sectional observational project. They didn't really test to see if people enrolled every single patient that could be enrolled. Now, as part of their protocol, if they found something abnormal on this focused exam, then they would consult pediatric cardiology. And then based on that discussion, they could get a comprehensive echo following that. The outcomes that they were looking at were how does their POCUS change? Are they doing more exams? Are the exams of adequate quality? And also, how accurate are they for any pathology they might find. Specifically, they were looking for pericardial effusions, depressed function of the left ventricle, and abnormal chamber size. Their protocol consisted of a parasternal long axis view, parasternal short axis view, apical four-chamber view, and a view of the IVC from a subcostal window. Cray, how did this pan out for them?
2: So they had a fairly small number of exams, and we don't have, again, a lot of pediatric literature to compare Um, as far as for power size goes, but they had 92 exams over the course of a year, so about one every three to four days, um, which in contrast to most adult ERs when we're doing cardiac ultrasound, it's like one every three to four hours on a bad day, on a slow day. Um, They had 34 different scanners, so they had a decent amount of buy-in from their faculty and fellows. It's more than just the one or two ultrasound experts at their facility. They had 13 patients who ended up having abnormal findings, which again is a contrast to adults, but it's probably pretty consistent with the pediatric population. In fact, maybe even a little bit high. Um, When you think about kids, a lot of kids structurally are normal, and it's usually not a primary cardiac problem that's causing a lot of their hemodynamic compromise. So when they did that, why were they doing it? 50% of the time they were looking for pericardial effusion, 23% were for unexplained dyspnea, 12% were for a possible PE which to me seemed like a high number in a pediatric population. It's not a diagnosis I typically put at the top of my differential if I had a dysmic or sick kid. 9% were for undifferentiated shock, 2% were for cardiac arrest, 1 exertional syncope and 3% said I don't care about the protocol, I'm just going to do an ultrasound anyway. So 65% of their patients were in the teen age year, so 12 to 21 years old. 22% were 4 to 12 years old. They had five pericardial effusions, six depressed ejection fractions, six abnormal chamber sizes, and two that had all of the above. So how did they do? They did okay compared to uh, cardiology. Um, the biggest abnormality where they saw difference between their interpretation and cardiology's interpretation is the chamber size, which I think is pretty consistent with what we see in adult literature. We're not typically doing a lot of the advanced uh, chamber size measurements. We're not looking at the pressures as commonly as the adult cardiologists are doing. Most of them got adequate views. Um, the most easily acquired views seemed to be the parasternal long axis view. Um, the hardest was the apical four chamber, though that is my personal mission to make that an easy view for people. Um, 20% of the clips they had a difficult time interpreting after the fact that with limited um, image acquisition. They had a decent inter rater reliability with a kappa of 0.9. Um, and they saw that one of their primary goals, which was increasing the prevalence of focus in their um, emergency department, went up significantly.
0: Now, Craig, I feel like you probably have a pretty high standard if you're saying that the accuracy results were just okay. Because when you look at this chart, I mean, the sensitivities are almost all 100%, and the specificities are all in the 90s and they even they calculate the, the likelihood ratio and they're like 80 and 20 and 40, they're, they're all pretty accurate. Now keep in mind the standard they used was the cardiologist reviewing the same images that were obtained in the emergency department so that that may be slightly different. They also did a comparison of the pediatric interpretation compared to the comprehensive echo that was done within 24 hours. Now, that that ended up being only a subset of the cases, about 50% of the cases, but still, they were still pretty accurate for all of those three things, the effusions, depressed function, or abnormal chamber size.
2: They were. I think there was definitely selection bias in this paper. There seems to, you know, with 13 pathologies amongst 92 cases. I think it's a little bit different than adults where there's a lot of abnormalities a lot of the time, and so you almost get numb to them. This is normal, normal, normal. Now all of a sudden the red shiny light stands out, I think, a little bit better. Um, So I think looking at this, which may be almost impossible to do in a patient population with more sick patients, it's just not what our pediatric patients are typically as far as, like, they're not gonna have a focal wall motion abnormality, pulmonary hypertension, COPD, they're not going to have all of these confounders that make your baseline echo abnormal. Their baseline is going to be more crisply normal than um, the adult counterparts. And
1: that was actually one of the things they took into account because of the high um – congenital heart disease and known cardiac abnormalities, they did insist for their protocol that if a kid was a known cardiac kid, that they had to consult cardiology before looking with their bedside ultrasound which would be consistent with what I think most of us would generally encourage. You can look at the last echo done by cardiology, read it, and compare it to your scan. But at the same time, some of those children have very abnormal hearts with um, that need kind of high-end cardiology measurements that I might not be able to do or have the time to do at bedside. So I thought that they did a good job of putting that into their protocol, that you're you're really trying to do newcomers fresh kids that are should be healthy with normal hearts and recognizing typical pathology not trying to nail the as cray said pulmonary hypertension in the you know hypoplast of some sort
0: yeah and this is i think one of the limitations of these impressive accuracies they did kind of confess that of the of 17 patients that had pathology 7 of those ones had the same pathology on a previous echo and that was not something that these physicians were blinded to prior to the study so they could have seen the patient they're like oh you've had a pericardial effusion before i'm going to do an echo i see a pericardial fusion or i think that you have a history of a depressed left ventricle function i do an echo yeah that probably looks depressed so there may be some bias in that and because it was such a small population of of positive studies, again, that could really swing the accuracies significantly. I think that the biggest limitation that you have to consider and we discussed early on is how involved the cardiologist was in this. So if we're thinking about what kind of conclusions you can draw from this, I think the author's conclusion is that it's helpful to implement a protocol like this, it can increase your point of care scans, and that these scans are accurate for pathology. But remember that this was developed with cardiologists and it involved having imaging reviews and and ongoing training with the cardiologists. So if that's not something that's feasible at your institution or your cardiologists aren't excited about point of care ultrasound, it it may be not as impressive as these results for you.
2: I think an important point to point out as well, Mike, is that peds echoes aren't the same as adult echoes. Um, The things we're looking for are different. Their primary pathophys is a little bit different. So a peds cardiac arrest is not primarily cardiac more often than not, it's usually respiratory. And so, especially for people performing both adult and pediatric bedside echoes, they have to keep in mind that the way they apply their findings is going to be different in each patient population. You know, when I saw exertional syncope, the first thing I thought is they're gonna go looking for hokum, Um, and I think that, you know, taking into account those things that, what is our scope of practice and what are we looking for? Um, There wasn't mention of other pathologies. Did they notice something was abnormal and then get cardiology involved? That wasn't really discussed. Um, And I think that's an important skill to have as a POCUS provider is knowing what your limitations are and when to apply them. So if I'm doing it for exertional syncope and something just doesn't quite look right with the left ventricle, but it's not one of these three findings I'm supposed to be looking for, that I take that next step. And so, knowing where, when to get that next level test, when to look at valve function, yeah. when to get more comprehensive measurements is really important um, and I think enhances focus rather than diminishes focus.
1: Yes. And as the PEM provider, some of the indications that they talked about, specifically the exertional syn- syncope and unexplained shortness of breath. That often can be teased out with just a good clinical history and exam and the cardiologist will not automatically echo those regardless of if there was a point of care test ahead of time.
0: You bring up a good point because whenever we're talking about a protocol study, I think a good question to ask is about resource utilization. Is this protocol going to help you with resources? because whenever it's a hospital-wide or emergency department thing, the administrators are involved and it's going to end up coming down to the bottom line. Are you seeing more patients? Are you getting studies you don't need? Are you spending more money? Are you saving money? Are you helping people? And that's not always easy to tease out. And this study obviously wasn't able to do a lot of that. They did notice that they looked kind of at the annual occurrences and saw there wasn't an increase in their overall comprehensive echoes they're getting or their emergency department consultations but I think that further studies may need to be done if you're really concerned about how much resources would be used because clearly there would be the potential to consult more or get more echoes if you're doing more point-of-care echoes and finding some things that you may not know how to interpret or you think need further follow-up so let me summarize this article this was an article that prospectively evaluated a pediatric focused cardiac ultrasound protocol and they ended up having 92 exams over one year of those 18.5 percent had abnormal findings the accuracies for pericardial fusion depressed function and abnormal chamber size were quite good the sensitivities had some large confidence intervals but that was due to the low number of false positives overall they did increase the quality of their point-of-care ultrasounds as evaluated by a cardiologist and they increased the number of their ultrasounds I think this is pretty good evidence that a protocol especially one developed with cardiology can help a pediatric emergency department accurately diagnose certain cardiac pathologies more data is certainly needed to go into whether or not this actually changes what happens to the patients down the line does it help get these diagnoses earlier does it help pick up things that weren't picked up otherwise while that may be intuitive i think we need a little more evidence for that well thanks again for listening we thank the authors for this excellent work Feel free to check out our website, ultrasoundgel.org. You can also visit us on Facebook and Google+. Talk to us on Twitter. And why don't you head on down to iTunes, give us a good review. That would really help us out. In any case, we look forward to talking to you later. <laughs> <laughs> More <laughs> pressure. More gel. More pressure. More gel. More ultrasoundgel.com. <laughs> 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 <More. laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) (laughs) Help. Okay.